morning. Sorry, I was trying to get rid of the twang in my voice uh, just a little bit. <laughs> Good morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, part B on chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So I hope you have your New Testament open to Ephesians 2, and let's read it together. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that, same, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man or one new humanity or one new race in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. News travels fast. It's hard for us to imagine the days when news had to be carried by a person, by voice, or by riding, on foot, or on horse, or on ship. Even the telegraph, which was invented around 1830, and the telephone, which was invented around 1876. Advanced as they were, they relied on wire or tracks, like a train. The airplane, that hastened the news. It was invented in 1903. But microwave and satellite technology has revolutionized 
global communication. The world is a smaller place than ever. Today, news is nearly instantaneous. New information, new information. We call it news. New information is voluminous. There's so much information, it's hard to know what's important, whether it matters, or if it's even true. Who has the time to figure it out? Nevertheless, news can change your world. Three years ago, three years ago, January 16, 2014, at 91 years of age, Hiru Onada died. Who is Mr. Onada? He was a Japanese soldier who refused to believe the news. And the news was, the war is over. Instead, Mr. Onada retreated into the jungle where he lived for 30 years, often killing the animals of farmers, making small raids here and there, but nonetheless holding out for his command, for his orders, for his commission. To him, the war was not over. He refused the news. It was not until 1974 that he was persuaded of the truth. In fact, his commanding officer traveled to Lubang to see him and tell him, Onada, you are released from your military duties. And in his battered old army uniform, Onada handed over his sword. 30 years after the war was ended. He said in an interview, I became an officer. I received an order. If I could not carry it out, I would feel shame. I am very competitive. <laughs> yeah, that's called understatement. <laughs> he won in a manner of speaking, at his own expense. God sent Jesus. Think, God sent Jesus. He brought a message of good news. In his life, he validated that good news. In his death, 
He validated that good news with his commitment. And in the resurrection, he validated that good news. Like Anata, many reject that very news. Even those who believe it are slow to accept it. Getting the news and getting the news are not the same thing. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul's letter to the Galatians, there were Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. And there were, there were Gentile believers in Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles. And they sat down together to enjoy a meal. They were eating with one another. One new person in Christ. And then some Jewish believers in Christ of the circumcision party showed up from Jerusalem. And when Peter saw them, he got up from the table and withdrew and separated himself from the Gentile believers in Jesus Christ. And when Peter got up and separated himself from the Gentile believers in Christ, so did Barnabas, the Jewish believer in Jesus Christ. He followed Peter and separated himself from the others. And then when the other Jewish believers that were having that meal with the Gentile believers saw Peter get up and separate himself, and then Barnabas get up and separate them himself, then others got up from the table and separated themselves. And there was division all of a sudden. All of a sudden, the one privilege in Christ disappeared. All of a sudden, the one peace in Christ dissolved into hurt and division. And the one place where the two could meet and belong together in Christ, that place was divided and became two. What happened? What happened? The law. The law. They who were brought near were pushed away by the law. They who had been reconciled were condemned by the law. They who belonged to one family, to one household, that were sitting together as family, eating together as family, were, were treated like strangers, like aliens by the law. Trade the law for love. Jesus' love 
trade the law for love. Jesus, love. It's very important that you understand that the war is over. There's peace, not just the cessation of war, not just the cessation of fighting. There's peace, which is the bounty of God's blessing, the work of His love that creates harmonious living between two peoples and the joy and the fulfillment and much more. It is shalom. It's, li it's life changing, but it's not just a concept. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches. His life, his love, his blessing coursing into our limbs that we might bear fruit. The fruit of his presence, the fruit of his work, the fruit of his love. Trade the law for love. Love is better than the law. Now, do not misunderstand me. Jesus came to the, fulfill the law. But how did he fulfill that? He went beyond it in love. The law enshrines good. It enshrines what is moral and right. But the law has no power to make a person righteous. In fact, in love... A person fulfills the law because they are creatively a good person following Jesus Christ. To be that person, that righteous person that loves God and loves neighbor as self, fulfilling the law and the prophets, that love means we must be living in the very power of Christ. And that is why Paul says, we live not by the law, but we live by faith in Christ. It is a person, the reality of a person, that makes that love so real to us. It's love, not the law, that has been given us and has given us privilege, peace, and a place in Jesus Christ. Because of our privilege, because of our privilege, we trade the law for love. That privilege that we have in Jesus Christ means that no one is far off, but we are all near. We are all brought near. Christ has won us a new relationship with God, a new covenant in which we all have joint privilege and advantage. What is this privilege? It's one rank, one citizenship, one race, one religion. Take a moment and turn to the letter of 
Paul to the Colossians. It's just to the right of Ephesians. It runs Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And the third chapter, and I'd like us to just read three verses, four verses. I'm going to read from verse 11 through 15. And I want you to read it with your own eyes. This is not an isolated truth. This is not something that's hidden in a corner. This is the fiber of the gospel. This is the fiber of the New Testament, the new covenant. That's what New Testament means, new covenant. We are going to celebrate the bread which celebrates, which remembers what Jesus Christ did for us in laying down his own life for our sins. That bread represents his life given for us to pay a debt, an incalculable debt that we could never pay to the holiness of God. And that cup, when we hold that cup and we take it, it is celebrating, it is remembering a new covenant, a new covenant, not an old covenant, a new covenant in my blood, a new testament, if you will, a new relationship with God on different terms. And when we accept that, this becomes true of us. Colossians 3, verse 11 through 15. Here, that is in Christ, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Just let that sink in. Christ is all in all. Verse 12, put on then. Here's the news. You've heard it. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What do you put on? The law? No. Here's what you put on. You put on compassionate hearts. And why would you put on a compassionate heart? Because Jesus Christ is our compassionate Lord. Put on kindness. Not the law. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. Put on bearing with one another. Put on, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Put that on. Not once is the law mentioned. And what are all these various things? Are they easy to forget? No, because of the next verse. And above all, put on love. You see, because all these things, all these specifications are all the parts of love in action. Love is courteous. Love is kind. Love is thoughtful. Love expects the best. Love, love trusts. Love is generous-hearted. Think of one thing 
that does not, that is noble and good and fair and kind and merciful and gracious and forgiving, long-suffering, patient, everything I just mentioned is rooted in love. Love thinks not first of itself, but it thinks first of others. Why? Because love is the heartbeat of God. Love is the very, if you will, blood of God coursing through our veins, oxygenated with a real VO2 rating that just makes you feel good. It's like the limb, just as Jesus said in John 15, is part of the vine. That's love. Above all, put on love. Notice these final words, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What's the outcome of love? What's the trajectory of love? What are we aiming for in love? That perfect harmony that God brings about. I would define agape, which was the distinctive Greek word that captured what God had done in Jesus Christ, that selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love, that word agape, I would define as seeking God's best for another. Seeking God's best for another. Not my best or not the person's best, but God's best. And God's best is summarized in Jesus Christ. His message of good news that the law has been abolished, grace has come in the free gift of relationship with God on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. That's a great love. That's the basis of our privilege. And because of our privilege, we trade the law for love. Because of our peace, in verses 14 through 18, we're reconciled with God and with one another. The laws are not more important than the sacrificial love that God demonstrated in Christ to abolish the law, to make the law of no effect. That's what the word abolish means. It doesn't mean, and Paul says this in Romans 7, he says the law is good. It reveals the character of God. It, it enshrines the quality of what is good and moral and right. It can be a guideline. It can steer us. Jesus fulfilled the law through love. When Paul in Romans 7 is talking about the law, and even, as I said, tips his hat to the fact that the law of God is good, he also says that the law gave sin power in his flesh to kill him, to condemn him. And at the end of chapter 7, he groans 
with a blood-curdling angst. Woe is me, wretched man that I am. Who shall save me from this wretched condition? And then right around at chapter 8, verse 1, he turns around and he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ. In Christ. That's our peace. And what does he go on to talk about? What's happened to that flesh without the law? It continues to operate in its selfishness, but he talks about the Spirit, setting our minds on the Spirit, setting our thoughts on the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is the presence of Jesus Christ, the promise of the Father poured out at Pentecost. The first Followers of Jesus Christ and his church thereafter have been characterized and filled by the Holy Spirit. We are to live in the vitality of the Spirit by surrendering to him who is love, who has given us so much in his grace in Jesus Christ. And when we do, we bear fruit. We bear fruit. Our lives start to show by the fruit that our lives produce the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our lives, this new humanity, this, this new race of people. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Many of you know this, but it is important to remember and remember it often. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love first. first. First fruit. First fruit of life. First fruit of the Holy Spirit. First fruit of God working through you. Love. What's the next fruit? Joy. Joy. Why is the church not full of love and joy, but instead they... The church looks like a box or a jar of prunes are all wrinkled up and they're grumpy and they're bitter and they're upset. Why are they grumpy and bitter and upset? Because of the law. They're ticked off that the world's getting away with this stuff. They're ticked off that the law that they value is not being abided by. They work so hard for their salvation. They work so hard to be like God on their own strength. They're angry at other Christians. There's no one. There's two and three and four and it's us against them. Why? Because of the law. I saw what you did. I'm not going to let you get away with it. I don't get to do that. They're bitter. They're angry. They're upset. Love, joy. What's the third? Peace. And it goes on. Goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things, Paul says, there is no law. So where does the fruit come from? 
The vine is attached to the branches and the branches to the vine. The same life is flowing from the vine to the branches, to the fingertips, to the fruit. And what happens when you're bearing fruit? People come and they take the fruit and they eat it and they enjoy it. And it brings a smile to their face and they are blessed. We should be the blessings of what God has done. This truly, is it good news to the rest of the world the way a lot of Christians live? When they're like prunes, bitter, sad, upset, angry, no love, no joy, no peace. There's no blessing. There is no blessing. This is important. Because of our peace, we trade the law for love. And because of our place, we're placed in a family, a big, big house, the house of God, the holy temple. Everything about the temple depends on Christ. He's the cornerstone, the load-bearing stone and foundation. All are connected and dependent upon him. Derwin L. Gray, a pastor, wrote a book called High Definition Leadership. In fact, he walks through in one of the chapters, Ephesians. This is what he says when he comes to this point here in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 19 through 22. God no longer resides in temples made of brick, but in multi-ethnic people who are temples made through the blood of Jesus. And God's glory is seen in high definition. I like that. I like that, don't you? Some of you are going to go home this afternoon and you're going to watch the Super Bowl in high definition because you love the brilliance of the color. It is so bright. The uniforms sparkle. You can see everything so clearly. That's the way the church ought to be to the world. God's glory seen in high definition because each Jew and Gentile, African, Greek, barbarian, Roman, Asian, was a different colored brick and a beautiful mosaic. I like that. Jesus gives us so many illustrations of love and law. The unjust steward. You know that story? I got to really be brief. The unjust steward... He was a slave, and the king was calling, going over the books of his kingdom. This is a parable of Jesus. It's in Matthew 18. I encourage you to read and reflect upon it. So he was going over the books with his accountant, and the accountant said, these slaves owe you such and such. And so he called in this slave, and this slave owed the king, get this, 10,000 talents, uh, 10,000 talents. One talent, one talent was the equivalent of 20 years' wages for a laborer. One talent. Now, just for a moment, very quickly, just do the math in your head. If you take your annual salary, if it's a joint salary, whatever, just what you make. And imagine, no utilities, no house payment, you know, no car payment. You get to save it all. How much money would one year be? Now, multiply that by 20. Now, multiply that by 10,000. 
You see, Jesus, this is what's called hyperbole. It's exaggeration to make a point. This slave owed the king a debt he could never pay. It's an incalculable amount. And the slave, he grovels before the king because the king has said, can you pay? And the slave said, I can't pay. Not yet. I will. Give me a chance. I promise. I'll pay you off. And the king is moved because he is threatened to throw the slave, his wife, and his children and sell them for maybe a penny on the dollar. But he is moved by compassion, and he shows the slave mercy. He doesn't give him a payment plan. He takes that page out of the ledger, and he writes across it, canceled. He forgives the whole debt. Think about that. Well, this slave, he leaves this audience with the king. He is 10,000 talents off the hook, and he bumps into a fellow slave. And as I think about it, they probably grew up together, went to the same school, played on the same team, and probably dated the same girl. But he bumps into this slave, and this slave owes the slave who's been forgiven 10,000 talents 100 denarii. Some years back, I did the calculation. That's one six hundred thousandth of what he had been forgiven. That's the penny that you drop on the ground and you don't pick up. And when he saw this slave, he asked him to pay that 100 denarii. And when the slave said, I cannot, but I will, promise me, I'll get back to you, I'll get this money for you. But no, this time he had him beaten and thrown into prison. He who had been forgiven so much would not forgive a fraction, an imperceptible fraction of a debt that he had been forgiven. And you know what Jesus says? He says, the king heard about this. He called that slave back in, and he said, it's been told to me that you were not merciful at all to another slave who owed you a small fraction. I thought you would be more merciful, more generous, more appreciative, more full of grace, more loving, more kind, more patient. He didn't say all that, but that was Jesus' point. And you know, the slave, I imagine him, he pulled out that bill that he had owed that wrote cancel across it. He said, you, and the king said, hand me that, and he tore it up, and he threw him into prison, him and his wife and children. Now, that disturbs us. And it should. That's how important it is for us to get the love of God that has been shown to us in his forgiveness, in his mercy, in his grace, in his kindness, in his patience. And Jesus says at the very end of the parable something very important. He says, if you will not forgive from the heart 
the Father, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. What is the moral of this parable? It's very important. You can have all this knowledge in your head. Just like I imagine that that slave could have that bill with cancel on it in his pocket. But if you do not forgive as he has forgiven you, if you do not love as he has loved you, you haven't got it. You haven't gotten it. The message has been delivered, but you're still living in the jungle, living under the law. You haven't gotten it. You haven't been changed by it. You haven't stepped out in faith on it. You haven't put your own wishes and desires and selfishness aside. Are you going to fail? Are you going to fall on your face? Yes, but you're going to get up again. You aren't going to get stuck. It's the law that will have you stuck and looking back and feeling bad and getting you sour. But love, love gets you back in the game. Love gets you back to loving. Love lets go of the fails, failures in your own life and the failures in others because you're full of Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. That's what we celebrate in the bread and the cup. I had other stories to tell. Jesus had lots of parables that deal with this issue. And perhaps the greatest parable that he had to deal with it is this parable, this symbol of his life and his blood poured out, the bread and the cup, the mercy and grace and forgiveness in the bread and the new life and the new future and the inheritance, our new status, the new humanity, the new race in the cup, the new covenant in his blood. We are to be the new people of God. And this is to remind us there's nothing more solemn, there's nothing more important that we do than that we take this in the manner in which it was intended, that we should take it as that new people, a people who forgive with the heart. Heavenly Father, prepare us. Bless us once again in this moment, with your grace, your mercy, your love in Jesus Christ, as we take this bread and cup, may your love, what you've accomplished, who we are to be, may it burst on our hearts, and as we consume it, may this great message, this good news, consume us in a fresh and new way with the heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to remind you today we have the opportunity to give to the Deacon's Fund, and it is used exclusively to help people come who turn to the church, turn to the Lord in a time of need, both from outside our church family and 
from within. So if you are able to give, give generously. And uh, if you are in need, please let us help you in the name of the Lord. Uh, now, if you will, stand. <clears throat> I am well aware that there is not a day that goes by that I can find fault in somebody. You need to remember that. I am also well aware that not a day goes by that I can love somebody. And that's what this message was all about. So go and love. Start at home with your neighbors, at the office, wherever you are. Become a disciple of the love of Jesus Christ. You will be tutored into maturity and depth of grace and the gospel in ways that you never imagined. And it will be a source of great joy and you will be a blessing to many people, most of all his church. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May his light fill your soul. May his smile encourage you and bring joy and a twinkle to your eye. And as you go this day, may you bring that same light and joy to others. God bless you.